Good morning, City Light. Nice to meet with you guys this morning. Oh, uh, you know what? I um, miss you guys like crazy. This is wild. Uh, last night, my wife and I were on Instagram Live um, for a little while, and uh, uh, I was enjoying it so much. My wife was like, you have to log off eventually. Like, you can't just stay on here forever uh, just hanging out with people. Uh, but just desiring uh, to talk with you guys and hang out with you guys. Uh, really looking forward to the day when we come back together, which will be a crazy party. Uh, one, we'll be in a new building, and two, we'll actually see each other again. So that day is going to be wild, and I'm just living in anticipation and expectation for that. Uh, we're going to be in Luke 15, jumping in uh, to our continue our series on priorities. But before we jump into that, go ahead and open your Bible. But before we jump in, I just want to update you real quick on a few things happening at City Light uh, over this last week, things that God has been doing. So number one, uh, we have made, in the last week, made deliveries to 85 families in our local area, families that have been identified uh, by local schools and churches as ones in the most urgent of need. So partnering with Falls Church High School and then two other local churches, uh, we have supplied goods and delivered them personally to people's houses safely uh, as best we can. Uh, and you guys filled that trailer. Remember, like, so a week ago, so we have a trailer in the back of the church filled up with non-perishable goods, and then we'll use them to supply what's needed around our community. So you guys took that to heart, and within a few days had that trailer pretty full. Uh, last Friday, we had another local church that knew of 27 of their families uh, that were in desperate need. They came and picked it up, everything. They wiped the trailer clean and delivered it that day to families who needed it. Uh, so just an encouragement to you that as you supply things in the trailer, uh, that got to families who needed it. So I'm asking us to keep filling that up. If you have the resources to do so, go buy non-perishables. There's a white trailer in the back of our new building at our new space. Uh, fill that up as much as you can, and then we have enough connections in the area to make sure it gets to the places where it needs to go. Uh, Falls Church High School gave us a list of 58 families, and we partnered with uh, Falls Church Anglican, which is another church down the road from us, uh, to supply what's needed for those families. We're working on that together. And so all of that is a really encouraging to me and to my heart. Uh, I know a lot of our lighthouses have dropped off goods at first responders from police stations, hospitals, whatnot, uh, just cheering people up, saying we love you, saying City Light is here to help you. Uh, you guys have really owned the mission. And not only for our community, but also for our congregation, uh, just one simple story that I heard recently was one of our families had a college kid that was a babysitter, and because college has gone haywire now, uh, that college kid went home and couldn't babysit anymore, and one of our local, one of our people in our congregation found out about that, stepped in and supplied the need to help that family, particularly take care of their kids during this time. Uh, because childcare has been a complete uh, difficulty for many people during this time. So just seeing how we're serving in the community and how we're serving in our congregation uh, has been a real encouragement to my heart. And I want you guys to know who are listening to this that God is working, that God is moving, and that he's using you. So as we said before, uh, now is our time. I really believe this, that now is the time that we were made for. We were built. The, the church of God, and even I think especially City Light right now with our mission, uh, is built for this. We were made for this time. Uh, so as I said before, it's not a time for panic, but for purpose. And you guys have been living that out well this week. And I want to encourage you continue to do so in every way that you can. 
one of the things that we want to continue to prioritize is giving, especially for those of you that have the resources to continue to do this. So uh, this is going to be so important that we step up in ways that we can because there's people already in our congregation that have been laid off or that have less work because they're hourly workers. Uh, there's people in our community, obviously, that, are, that have tons of needs that are represented now uh, because they either lost jobs or simply because they can't provide what's needed. Uh, the needs are really great. And so right now, for those of you that have resources to give, now is the time uh, to really step up and even be more generous than you have been uh, because there's not a, a shortage of things we can do with that money and people we want to take care of, not only in the community but in our congregation. And so in Galatians 6, Paul talks about, hey, you got to uh, do good to all, especially to the household of faith. And so one of the things we want to do uh, is not so focused on the community that we forget our own people. And we know many of our own people in our congregation uh, are pressed with urgent need right now. Uh, and so I just want to ask you as your pastor and challenge you to prioritize giving in this season, to trust the Lord uh, with your future, and to do what you can to be a part of helping other people. Uh, that money is going directly to help people uh, through the relationships we have with churches and local schools. So. You can continue to give online, and if you haven't done that yet, you can reach out to us. We'd love to help you do that. There's also an address that you can send checks to. Uh, reach out to us, info wearecitylight.org. Uh, email us. We'd love to talk with you. Secondly, um, check wearecitylight.org backslash updates so that you can learn more about how to be involved. So uh, we're constantly putting things on there uh, about how you can serve, about the normal ways which you can serve, about things that you can be doing, both ideas, practical tips, and whatnot. There's also a phone number and a reference form. So if you are in our congregation and you need something and we don't know it, please let us know. For real, we mean it. Fill out the reference form. If you are somebody who knows somebody that has a need uh, within our congregation or call us, uh, we want to find that out. And so please let us know. We want to help you in any way that we can. We want to be there for you during this time, this season, for our congregation and for our community. Uh, and so some of those uh, are the updates that are going on. Please. Continue to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and whatnot. We're constantly updating more information. If you're not on our newsletter, once again, email us, info at wearecitylight.org. Let us know. We'll put you on our newsletter so that you can stay up to date. Uh, we have devos going out every day. They're on our resources page of our website. They also get delivered via the newsletter uh, that's going out every morning. And so if you're missing those devos, it's a time for us to spiritually be tuned in together, a uh, time for you to be encouraged by your pastors and your peers. Uh, so I think that's really important for us to stay unified in that. Something I actually mentioned on uh, Instagram Live last night and I want to uh, go over again today is a question I've been thinking about as your pastor, both for my life, but also for the life of our congregation. It's this. Who do you want to be when the quarantine is over? I think this is so important for us to begin to think about, to say, hey, who is it that you want to be when the quarantine is over? What do you want to do with the time that you have? And I think a good way for you to think about, man, how do I use this time? Some of you just have more free time now. Uh, you're a teacher or something, and your, your job still pays you, but you don't actually have to go to work. And so now you have more time. Uh, some of you are in the midst of certain struggles because you did actually lose a job or something, uh, and you're really struggling to kind of find out what the Lord is doing. Whatever your situation is, we're all so different, right? Some of you are at home single, and you just kind of got all the time in the world. You're a little bit bored. Some of you have like 100 kids running around, and you're like, bored is not the word for me. Uh, whatever your situation may be, it all is different. But I want us all to think about this question. Who do I want to be? Who do you want to be when this quarantine is over? Now, when I asked my wife this question, her simple response was, I want to be less hurried. 
I want to take kind of the rhythm of life, the pace of life that we're living out now, that's a little less hurried, less frantic, less driving all over the place, less schedules, less pro- And I want to implement that rhythm of life as best I can in the new season. I've been thinking about how there's so many more opportunities for me to teach my kids the word and how I need to prioritize that because I'm, I'm at home more often now uh, than I have been before. These things, like who do you want to be? What habits do you want to form? And so I want us to be intentional with this time. I don't want us just to try to survive it, but to thrive in it. That would be Jesus' intention for you, uh, is to thrive in the midst of this time. So be intentional. Pursue something specific. Write it down. Uh, If you have it right now, write it down right now. Get out your pen or whatever. Uh, You can even put it on the YouTube chat. You guys can encourage each other. Uh, Let's interact with one another as best we can, right? We can't sit there and talk about it. So talk about it on YouTube. Do whatever you can do. Uh, Talk about it with your lighthouse this week. Who do you want to be when this quarantine is over? Answer that question. And then what habits do you want to implement to become that? So I want to be a person that's just, I want to know a little bit more about Jesus, more than I did before. Okay, well, what habits? How can I spend more time with him? I want to do this or do that. So who do you want to be when this quarantine is over? I want us to thrive, not just survive during this time. So as we jump into Luke 15, this is going to be fairly short because I just have two simple things I want to point out. And we're going to go ahead and read this. I'm trusting God's providence that we already have this series planned and that there's something for us from God's word that not only is is generally helpful and applicable, but also uh, necessary for this time. And last week that was true. We were in Luke 13. Uh, This week this is true with Luke 15. And so we're just trusting the Lord to say we already had this worked out. You knew we were going to be in Luke. And what do you have for us during this time? Uh, And so every week we'll take some time to specifically address what's going on. And then we'll take some time to look at the word and think through what's going on based off where we're already at in scripture. So Luke 15, uh, I'm going to go ahead and read this chapter, and I want you to follow along with me at home. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled. They said, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or another example, what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now this is the setup for the story of the prodigal son. This is his third example. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. So he divided his property between them. Now, not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had. He took a journey into the far country, right? He went out of state, is how we would say it in the modern times, right? He went to college out of state. He took everything. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with even the pods that the pigs ate, for no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. 
We all know the speech we plan to give our parents when we did something we knew we shouldn't do, and now we need their help. Everybody knows that feeling, right? So he's planning his speech. He's ignored his parents, and now he needs them, and he's coming back. And he arose, and he said, he came to his father. While he was still a long way away, his father saw him. He felt compassion. He ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is now alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry. He refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, the son of yours, not my brother, the son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and he is now found. Uh, the sermon today is called The Priority of One Life. So in the middle of our priority series, we've talked about the priority uh, of generosity. We've talked about the priority of God's house. And now today, we talk about the priority of prayer. And now today, we talk about the priority of one life. I think one of the simplest truths... And the perspective of God that we see from this scripture is how much he values and prioritizes one life. And I think we, as a culture and as a society, don't think this way. We're so focused on reaching the masses, on more influence, more likes, more posts, that we disregard the priority of one life. If one person showed up to an event, we would call it a failure. If one person was, was a part of a program that was changed, we'd probably call that a failure. What God wants us to do is see things from his perspective. He wants us to put a high value on one person, to prioritize one soul, one life. There is amazing, amazing, life-changing value in one life. And we need to see that today, and we need to live this out uh, in our community. Because as we see now, more than ever, we really need to be the church. We have real neighbors with real needs right in our community. We have real people who need real help right now. We have people in our congregation who need help right now. And instead of getting so caught up in the masses and the big numbers and all the things happening around us, you can get so caught up in those numbers that you forget your neighbor. You can get so caught up in the terrible things happening abroad that we can do nothing about except pray that we forget to actually help the people right around us, that we forget that one life matters. That's what we can do. And so now as we think about this, and we think about this season of life, we need to be a church who prioritizes one life, who prioritizes one soul, who sees things from God's perspective. There are people in our congregation with job loss, health loss. There are people who are suffering from anxiety and fear all around us. We need to value each person to value their problems and their needs, and we need to serve them accordingly. Some of you, you are the one, the one God is pursuing. You are the one listening to this with your friend at home or whatever. They, they're at home. You're their roommate. They're making you watch this right now. You're like, I don't even go to church. Well, you're at church right now, and you are the one that God is pursuing. You're the one that's been missing. You're the one that's far from God. And God says, I prioritize and I value your life and your soul. God loves you so much and values your life so much that he sent Jesus to die for you, to rise again from the dead, and to offer you eternal life. 
And in the midst of this season where you see that your life is out of control, you have no control over your life like you thought you did. You're more afraid of death than you thought you were. All these things are becoming more real for you. I have an answer for you for those problems. It's that God loves you, that God values you, that God died for you on the cross, and that God wants to give you an eternal life in him so that whatever your circumstances on this earth are, are nothing compared to your future with Jesus. So I want to encourage you, don't waste any more time. God is pursuing you. So two quick things from this passage, and we'll be done. When we prioritize one life, like Jesus does here, like God teaches us to, it affects our dedication and celebration. All right? We're going to do this. Turn to your neighbor at home and say, dedication and celebration. All right? Say it to your kids. Say it to the people with you. All right? We're going to talk back to each other. You can talk back to me if you want. Say amen. All right? Just do what you do. Uh, Dedication and celebration. These are two things that it affects. The first I want to see and teach you about is dedication. When we understand the priority and value of one life, it changes our level of dedication. Look at these two parts of the story. Verse 4, what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? The second example, what woman, having ten silver coins, loses one, she doesn't light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? Both these examples require risk and work. These examples both require risk and work. The first one requires risk, that he leaves the 99, he goes into the open country, not knowing what animals he's going to face, not knowing how long it's going to take him, not knowing the situation in which he'll find his sheep. He sacrifices his own well-being and his own schedule and time, and he goes after the one. He takes a risk because he values the one sheep, the one life. And this lady searches the house diligently to find that one thing. And I love this example because this is something we can all relate to. I just want you to think of and to feel and remember the one time you lost something really important to you. Okay, just feel it. Maybe even tell your neighbor there at home, I want you to remember that. What was something so valuable to you that you might have lost or at least you thought you lost? You know, some of your parents are like, man, I couldn't find my kid for like 20 seconds at the grocery store and that was the worst 20 seconds of my life. Uh, some of you lose your keys constantly, <clears throat> my wife. Some of you are doing these things all the time. You lose your phone a lot. You just, uh, I want you to go to that feeling to say like, and I love, I love my wife, I love you. Uh, go, to the, go to that feeling and to say, hey, what did it feel like, what did it feel like to lose something that was important to me? I want you to remember what that felt like. I want you to remember how much effort you put into finding it. So, I, man, I was like, I had like a hundred different stories I could share about this kind of example. Uh, just a few of them. Uh, number one, my wife did lose her keys one time, more than one time. But this was one time when she lost them. We were at, she was at CVS. Somehow she lost her keys. I went to pick her up with our other car, okay? She gets in the car, and we have to call um, uh, whatever, Geico or whatever, to come help us get in the car because she thinks she locked the keys in the car, but she's not sure. Uh, so, anyways, we go back home. It takes two hours for them to get there. So we go back home. The only way for me to get back to the car without taking another car and messing that up because I need to drive the other car back was to run. That was the only way I could get back to our first car was to run there, okay? Uh, I would like to tell you it was 10 miles, and I'm really awesome at running. Uh, It wasn't. It was probably about a mile and a half. Uh, And I ran there at like 8 o'clock at night uh, to go stand by the car to wait. So the guy comes. He opens the car for us. There's no keys in the car. No keys in the car. She didn't lock the keys in the car. So now... We don't know where the keys are. Uh, I'm walking around the parking lot. I'm looking everywhere. She's scrambling. She's looking in her car. She's looking in her purse, walking into CVS, going up the aisles, asking people up front, yada, yada, yada. Nobody knows where the keys are. I come back out, and I'm just sitting there, like, praying, like, Lord, you got, I don't know, 
ah, you know, Lord, you got to figure this out. But we were doing everything that we could to find these keys. Eventually, I go back into CVS. I go to the back where the pharmacy is instead of the front. I stand in line for no joke, probably 30 minutes, and I ask them, hey, have you guys seen any keys? And they're like, the ones right there? And I'm like, yes. Oh, my goodness. They were right there this whole time. This is so annoying. Uh, I was happy but annoyed all at the same time. But there was like three hours, right? I ran a mile to go to the mile whatever to go to the car. I waited for somebody for a couple hours to come pick it up. I searched CVS, asked everybody in the parking lot. I was walking with a flashlight around the parking lot like this. Kristen was at home searching the car, searching her purse. We were doing everything we could to find these keys. And this story has happened multiple times in my house where we lost keys and we're trying to find something. I remember one time when I was looking for something under our couches, and we have that the, uh, the L couch, you know, uh, and so they're connected at the hip, and so to, to get under the couch, you have to first lift up one side, move it out of the way, and then lift up the other, because they're connected, you can't lift it all up at the same time, uh, and so like, like most of you at home, my couch, under my couch is super clean, it's like super just spot, it's spotless under my couch, you know, there's nothing weird or gross or anything down there at all, nothing like that, uh, that's a lie, see the wink, 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 so I, I went under my couch, to find this, and I ended up sweeping up a lot, you know, and trying to find old toys, all this random, my, my kids, it was like Christmas the next morning, they had lost like 10 Lego Batmans or whatever, they're under the couch, uh, but I had to pick up the couch, move everything out, sweep it all out, I watched an entire Avengers movie while I was doing this, so what is that, two and a half hours, it took me two and a half hours to do that, uh, I want you to think about the amount of work and effort you put in to something that is lost, that you want to find. Uh, I'll give you another example. I think it's so important that you feel this, right? This is a church example. Uh, and so a few weeks ago, uh, we, got to t- we, we had a problem with one of our trailers, and we had to transfer everything from one trailer to another. This took a long time. It was a crazy morning, okay? We, get, we finally get everything to the school to get ready for service. Everybody's setting up, da 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 Then somebody's like, where's the projector? And we're like, the projector? That's a big. You see, our projector at church is big. It's hard to miss. Nobody can find the projector. We look around it. We're walking around the whole school now looking for the projector, asking the janitor, asking everybody, have you seen a projector? And then somebody comes up, and they're like, you know what? We're actually missing AV2, which is a, basically a whole box which we run our technology equipment from. So now we're missing a projector and AV2. And so this has everyone's attention, okay? It's valuable, and so we're placing value on it by caring about the fact that it's lost, okay? It gets to me. Everybody's like, we can't find AV2 or a projector. And I'm like, well, uh, let's look for it. But they ran church for thousands of years without a projector. I guess we'll be all right. We'll make it. Um, Eventually, we thought maybe we left it back where we transferred trailers. And so somebody goes back to look, and we had, we had accidentally let it. It was on wheels. So when we were transferring and not paying attention, one of the carts on the wheels had to roll off into the distance and hit a curb, and it had the projector on top of it. And so somebody goes back. They find all that. Uh, most of you didn't even know. We get service ready on time because our tech team is amazing, and I love them so very much. Uh, it's as if nothing happened, okay? You wouldn't have even known. But we lost something valuable, and so we went after it, and we did everything we could to find it. I want you to remember that feeling in your heart. You've had this feeling a thousand times. And I want us to place that kind of value and to feel that kind of way about people around us. We need to feel that kind of way about people around us that don't know Jesus. And the more we value people, the higher our level of dedication. When our value increases, our level of dedication increases, right? So if I'm missing something unimportant to me, I put no effort into finding it, right? If I'm missing something really important to my kids, I'm going to put a significant amount of effort into finding it. If I'm missing my keys by which I drive my car and do everything in life, I'm going to put an extra amount of effort into finding it. 
And so the more value we place on one life, one life, the more effort and dedication we're going to give to seeing that life changed. And I want us to think this way. We have to think this way to say, the one life of my neighbor is worth my dedication. It's worth my effort. It's worth sweat. It's worth effort. It's worth time. It's worth sacrifice. That one life of somebody in my community, that one life here in our congregation that's suffering right now, that one life is worth my effort. That one life is worth my effort. Something we see from this that I, I want you to understand is one life is worth a lifetime of work. One life is worth a lifetime of work. I got, you got to think about this, that if you gave your whole life, your whole life, and from your whole life, one life got changed for eternity. So not only did you help them now in the tangible moment, but you shared the gospel and they came to know Jesus. Your whole life would have been worth that one life. That's how valuable that one life is. So when we think, man, how can I really make a difference in the world? You don't need 1,000 likes on your Instagram page, and you don't need 100,000 people to show up at the event that you run, and you don't need mass influence. You change one life, and you've done something significant with your life because God puts high value and prioritizes one life. And if we all begin to live this way, I think we're stopped, we're, we won't be paralyzed anymore by trying to do so many things that we neglect the value of changing one life. So when we value one life, when we prioritize one life, one soul, like Jesus does, then that's going to increase our dedication. It's going to increase our effort. And so I want you to hold on to that feeling of missing something, and I want you to apply it to the people around you. I want you to apply it to people that don't know Jesus around you. I want you to apply it to those who are suffering right now around you. And I want us to put in the dedication and the effort to be able to see these lives changed. Secondly, when we prioritize one life, it changes our celebration. So it changes our dedication, right? Sweep the house, look for it diligently, risk, and go out into the open country to find it. It also changes our celebration. So look what happens, verses 5 uh, through 10. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And when she has found it, verse 9, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, I, have, I found a coin that I lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What I thought was interesting at first, and this may not even mean that much, uh, it might just be storytelling, but there's a lot more verses dedicated to celebrating than to the, the work of finding. There's a lot more storytelling about what the celebration was like than what the effort and the work was like. Now, I think there's something for us to learn here is the value God places on celebrating. The value God places on celebrating. So if we value one life and prioritize one life like God does, we will celebrate like God does when one life is changed. So one thing I want you to notice about this first is that both of these examples involve them involving someone else in the celebration. What do they do? They both do this. They call together their friends and neighbors. So when they want to celebrate... They don't go home and say, Lord, thank you so much, which is great. You can do that. But they, when they really want to celebrate, they call together their friends and neighbors. Uh, I think about this when I think about a few years ago, Alabama was in a national championship game, which they are a lot because they're very good. Uh, roll Tide. They were in a national championship game, uh, and they, had, uh, they, they were about to kick the game-winning field goal. Okay, So it was against Georgia. Uh, it was this crazy game. They were down. They put in their backup quarterback. He led them to, to victory. It was crazy. So they're in this moment. They're about to kick a field goal to win the game, to win the national championship, 36-yard field goal. Our field goal kickers are notoriously terrible, and so I was very nervous. And so they're ready to kick the 
field goal. My, it's like 12.30 by this time. It's late. My wife has been asleep because she loves me, but she needed to sleep. She didn't care much about the game. But I was so excited, I went and got her up. I said, you got to you watch this. you got to watch this commercial break. They're about to win the national championship, right? And I did not want to celebrate alone. So I get her out of bed. you got to watch. She's like, uh, you know, she's coming over here. But she loves me, so she comes over here. She pretends like she cares. Uh, and she's coming over here to watch the game uh, and to watch it. And they kick, and they miss the field goal. They miss. They miss. And I'm losing my ever-loving mind. Uh, so it goes to overtime. Uh, some bad things happen for my team. And eventually we're stuck in a bad position where we're way behind. Georgia has the lead. Our quarterback just got sacked. It looks like we're going to lose. And all of a sudden, our, our new quarterback, who hadn't played at all that season hardly, throws a 40-yard dart to win the game out of nowhere, and everybody loses their minds. And my wife is right there. She's, like, recording me. I think there's evidence of it. Uh, I had so much fun celebrating with her. But when I really wanted to celebrate, what did I do? I didn't want to do it alone. I wanted to do it with someone else. I went and woke her up. I said, I'm not going to celebrate alone. And so I want us to think about this here in the scriptures when it says, hey, they gathered their friends and neighbors. Celebrating, throwing a party for life change is something that we should do collectively together a lot. It's something that we should prioritize. Stories we want to tell our friends, to tell our neighbors. We do this together. We celebrate together. God throws a party in heaven, and so should we here on earth. We are a people of celebration. So the question for us is, do we celebrate when one life changes? Do we really, really celebrate? Do we throw a party? Do we invite our friends and neighbors? Do we tell these stories to one another? We need to be a people who celebrate like God does. When we have God's perspective about people, we will learn this simple truth. One life is worth celebrating because one life was worth creating. One life is worth celebrating because one life was worth creating. If God thought it fit and important to create this one life, then, man, we should find it so important to celebrate this one life. God can create what he wants. Uh, Psalm 139 says that each person has been knit together in their mother's womb, that every single individual, regardless of race, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic status, whatever, has the same dignity and worth in God's eyes because he made them and he wanted them here on this planet. Nothing happens by accident. Nobody comes into being apart from God's creation. God thought it important enough to make this person. He thought it important enough to have this person on the planet. And so if one life was worth creating, then one life is worth celebrating. Jesus thought it wasn't just important enough to have them be on the planet, but he loved each life so much he thought it important enough to actually come die for it. God places an extreme amount of value on one soul and one life. So if one life is worth creating, then one life is worth celebrating. This is all true when we have God's perspective, when we think God's thoughts. I had an old pastor at my, my uh, old church a few years ago. He used to say this. I love this. I tell my team this a lot. You replicate what you celebrate. You replicate what you celebrate. So if we don't wildly celebrate one life that gets changed, one soul that turns to Jesus, one marriage that gets restored, one person who breaks addiction, if we don't wildly celebrate that, we will not see it replicated over and over again. If we just say, oh, man, that's cool, ho-hum, whatever, like that, then we're not going to see that increase. But if we celebrate and we celebrate with one another and we tell these stories, we celebrate what God's done in our own life, we celebrate what God's done to the people around us, if we celebrate these things with one another, it'll create something that's replicated time and time again. I want to encourage you today to tell your story. Tell your story to someone. Let people be encouraged by you celebrating what God has done in your own life. Let's be a people who celebrate because we will replicate what we celebrate.
So if we celebrate life change, souls getting saved, people coming to know Jesus, marriages being restored, then we're going to see those things happen over and over again if we celebrate it. So this is so important for us. When I think back now to my original announcement that 85 families have been served with the gospel, 85 families probably represents at least 250 people, at least. And we can hear that and be like, oh, that's cool. Or we can hear that and be like, what, 250 of these precious lives not only had needs met now, but they heard the gospel? Man, this is something worth celebrating, all right? Give your neighbor, no, well, I was about to say give your neighbor a high five. Don't do that, okay? Uh, air five. Air five or something, all right? Let's celebrate right now the fact that people's lives are being changed all across our city through our efforts and through what Jesus is doing. Every life matters. Now, this story closes with the story of the prodigal son. I wanted to preach from these first few verses because we don't pay attention to those as much. All I want to do to point out from the prodigal son is I think the purpose of that story being the closing example is to prioritize the greatest thing to celebrate is repentance and faith in Jesus. This is why we say through City Light, our passion is to shine the light of Christ in dark and hard places to bring real hope and help to all people. Real help is great, but real hope is necessary. Real help is something that's really great. Let's help people with their tangible needs right now. But real hope is what is absolutely 100% non-negotiable. That's what's needed. And so when you see from the story of the prodigal son, the greatest thing that we should celebrate and the greatest thing that we should pursue are people's lives being changed by Jesus, are people being found by Jesus, are people that were lost and now they know Jesus, they're a part of God's family. People that had run away and are far from God are now in God's family and have eternal life. This is the thing that we should not only celebrate, but we should pursue and dedicate our whole life to. If we really believe in heaven and hell, we really believe in how much God loves and prioritizes each life around us, then we will dedicate ourselves to helping people come to know Jesus. And when they do, we will throw a party. We will celebrate, and we will be so excited. So here at City Light, we give real help and real hope. But the non-negotiable is real hope. We have to be a people who share the gospel. So during this season of life, when there's needs all around us, let's give real help. Let's fill the trailer up. Let's deliver goods. Let's help people in their time of need. People that have lost jobs, let's help them financially as much as we can. Let's give real hope. But may we do so as we give real hope. Let's be a people who share the gospel. Let's be a people who prioritize Jesus. Let's be a people who give real hope to people all around us. So City Light, I want to encourage you during this time, and us as a church, let's be a people who prioritize one life like Jesus does, who view each soul like Jesus does, who puts value on each life like Jesus does, and may this increase our dedication, and may it increase our celebration. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you for this time that we have in your word. We thank you for City Light. We thank you for what you're doing in and through this church. We thank you for every gospel-preaching, Jesus-loving local church around here. May you continue to use them mightily to serve needs. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to meet real needs. We pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom as to how to meet those needs the best, that you would provide the resources to meet needs the best. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to prioritize one life like you do, one neighbor, one family member, one coworker, one community member, one life that we would be a people who see people like you do, who value people like you do, who love people like you do. And may we be a people, Lord, dedicated, sweeping the house, seeking diligently, going out into the open country. May we be dedicated to finding the lost, sharing the gospel, meeting needs, serving people. Lord, and may we be a people who celebrate, Lord, who love to throw parties for Jesus, who celebrate what you're doing. So, Lord, we love you. May you make these truths true in our church, in our time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.